Hey, Michael. Yes, Novena. Do you know what time it is? I believe it's time for Lost Notes from KCRW. That's right. And I've got the time machine set to September of 1981. Buckle up. Boy, it is awfully foggy in here. Are we in England? Yes, indeed. And all these young folks are on the dance floor twirling to the country's latest number one. Sometimes I feel I've got to run away. I've got to... Twirling and clapping along. This song must have been brand new at that time. Wouldn't even come out as a single in the U.S. for a couple more months. And it took even longer for it to become a hit. That didn't happen till the following summer. Tainted Love Love had a long rise to the top. But we're just talking about the version by Soft Cell. The actual story of the song goes back a lot further. So much further. Mm. A lot of folks still don't know that Tainted Love was actually a cover. The original version came out in 1965, and it was written and recorded right here in Los Angeles, California. Sometimes I feel I've got to run away, I've got to get away from the pain you drive into the heart of me. That's the voice of Miss Gloria Jones. If folks know her at all, it's because she recorded the original version of Tainted Love. But her life story is truly amazing. She played a part in so much great music, but I don't think she's ever really gotten the credit that she deserves. I could not agree more. Mm -hmm. So let's shed some much-deserved light on her story, why don't we? Mm -hmm. I'm Novena Carmel. And I'm Michael Barnes. And in this episode of Lost Notes, we're going to set you straight on Gloria Jones and Tainted Love. Gloria Jones is barely a teenager in L.A. when she starts hanging out with a kid named Andre Crouch, whose dad runs the Christ Memorial Church of God and Christ in Pacoima. And it's kind of wild what Andre Crouch does while he's still in junior high. Putting together a church choir, reaching out, networking with other church kids in the L.A. area, and putting all that big church kid energy together into a group called the Kojic Singers. Big church kid energy indeed. Mm. <laughs> By 1964, the word of Andre's talent is spreading far and wide. His name even gets to the current king of gospel the Reverend James Cleveland, who introduces him to Simpson Records, which agrees to put out two singles by the Kojic Singers that same year. Their second single is called It Will Never Lose Its Power. And on that tune, Gloria gets her first chance to take flight. It's really crazy how much talent they had in that band. Along with Andre Crouch and Gloria Jones, the organ player of the Kojics is none other than Billy Preston. And even though he's also a teenager, he's already played with legends like Mahalia Jackson, Little Richard, and Sam Cooke. 
Gloria herself was around the same age, just a teen when this was recorded. And you can really hear her church-trained voice, all of her power as a soloist and that ability to harmonize and blend in and just make it sound so smooth. Ah, Just incredible. So, of course, it's not a huge surprise when none other than Motown comes calling. Yeah, especially since so many of the soul singers in Motown came out of the church, including Mary Wilson of the Supremes, Martha Reeves, and Tammy Terrell. And so, it's no surprise Hal Davis, A&R at Motown, saw girl group potential in the young women of the Kojics. But at that time, Motown already had too many girl groups. But when Hal Davis couldn't find a place for all the Kojics, he did connect Gloria with a songwriter by the name of Ed Cobb. And so she works with him instead. And the funny thing is, Ed is already working with one of Gloria's bandmates from the Kojics, Billy Preston. So Ed and Billy get her on this instrumental track they've been cooking up called Heartbeat. And it's like a door gets unlocked. Heartbeat, Gloria has a little moment in the sun. It hits the charts in October of 1965, and she finds herself performing on all the hip teen shows of the day. She's on Shindig, Shivery, Where the Action Is, Hollywood A Go-Go. You won't believe what's happening for the next hour as Hollywood A Go-Go starts a little heartbeat action park one with Gloria Jones. Come on now, let's tear it up. This is where it's at. This is where the action is. Not only that, she performs on Shindig twice within a few weeks, once by herself and then with Billy Preston on organ and Darlene Love and the Blossoms doing backing vocals. And it seems like she's got some real good momentum. But back then, you'd often have artists record other people's songs soon after the original version had been released. So Dusty Springfield releases her own version of Heartbeat just a few months after Gloria's. That kind of thing, it just seems almost impossible to imagine it happening today. Right. The equivalent would be if an artist like Cleo Soul, for mm. example, came out with a song and then Taylor Swift comes along and is like, oh, that's good. Let me record her song and release it two weeks later and pass it off like my version is the original. Ta-da! It just does not quite go down like that nowadays. But that's part of the landscape that we're working with back in the 60s. And quite often you would have a black artist recording the original version, to be honest. And then a white artist would come along with a cover that became more popular. But wait a minute. Gloria actually released two singles in 1965. 
Heartbeat comes out in September, but just a few months before, from the same recording session, she put out her first single, a song called My Bad Boy's Coming Home, and the B-side of that single, the B-side, is Tainted Love. I can't believe that Tainted Love was the B-side. No, right? But the thing is, it's possible R&B stations never even got a chance to hear Tainted Love. And since the A-side was meant for the pop charts, Mm. it would have gone to pop stations. And the other thing is that apparently Ed Cobb, he didn't even like the song that much. He thought the beat was too strong. The beat is a perfect beat. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) But I guess, you know, fair to say they didn't like it at the time. And Gloria had her own problems with it, too. Before now, she was just a teenager singing for church folk. And she's like, I don't know what Tainted Love is. I don't want to know what Tainted Love is. (laughs) And this is just not feeling like a proper topic for a young lady. Yeah, whatever the reason, Tainted Love goes nowhere. But after Heartbeat gave her a bit of success, Gloria does put out a full-length record in 1966 called Come Go With Me. That one includes Heartbeat, but it does not have Tainted Love. Ugh, that really feels like a mistake. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially because that album did not find an audience. Man, too frustrating. Maybe she is frustrated, too, and feels like she should expand her portfolio since the songs are just not hitting. So she starts doing theater work around L.A. for a few years after that. Indeed. She was in the cast for Catch My Soul, which was like a 1960s version of Othello. She's also in an L.A. production of Hair, which probably raises her visibility to a number of rock groups. Because after that, she starts working as a backup singer for multiple folks, including Harper's Bazaar and Ry Cooter, and also on an early solo track by Mr. Neil Young. Oh, I've loved her so Yeah, so in here you can hear some of Gloria Jones's oohs and ahs. And around this time, Gloria also meets Pam Sawyer, who was a staff writer for Motown. And Pam had co-written Love Child and another song called I'm Living in Shame for none other than the Supremes. And instead of Gloria becoming a recording artist for Motown, she becomes a writer like Pam. But not under her own name, under a totally different name, which is Laverne Ware. And in Motown, Pam and Gloria write songs for virtually everybody. The Jackson Five, Eddie Kendricks, Marvin Gaye, Diana Ross, The Four Tops, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. A lot of songs for a lot of people. And for Gladys Knight and the Pips, they co-write If I Were Your Woman, which becomes the biggest hit they're associated with, and a song that was also nominated for a Grammy, which is huge. And that becomes one of the most classic songs of the Motown era in general. It's so interesting to me that Gloria was recording her own music during this period, but also writing for all these other people, but under a different name. So she kind of has this double identity thing going on. And I wonder if that took away from propelling her into success. 
her artistic recognition being split in two. Like if she had been recognized as the singer of this song, but also the writer of all these other songs under the same name, maybe she would have been more popular, had more fire going on in what she was doing as an artist altogether. You know, you think about these different situations we bring up around why didn't this become a bigger hit or or why didn't this person become a star? And a lot of it connects to that period of time. You don't really get the idolization of singer-songwriters until the late 1960s. And even then, it's primarily in rock music. And with those rock and pop hits of the era, usually you had someone writing the song and then somebody else performing it. So Carole King, for instance, would write songs for the Monkees, but then the Monkees would be the ones who were singing the songs in the studio. The songwriters knew their job was to keep pushing out songs. Performers, though, didn't really write many of them. So what you're sort of touching on is if maybe Gloria came up a little bit later, the singer-songwriter thing could have been a part of what she was up to, but the fact that she didn't make it as a performing artist is maybe what pushes her to become a backup singer, a songwriter for others, and eventually a producer. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all a part of it. But the funny thing is, in 1973, she ends up actually releasing a solo album under her own name on Motown. And it feels like another one of these chances for her to shine as an artist in her own right. But then, once again, something else comes along. Gloria originally met Mark Boland from T-Rex in 1969 after one of her performances in Hair, but they didn't really connect again until the summer of 1972. By then, she was working as a backing vocalist for Joe Cocker, and Mark was getting more interested in adding soulful elements to his own music. So he steals Gloria away from Joe, takes her along for his own tour, and she becomes a really integral part of T-Rex between her singing and her instrumental contributions on piano and clavinet. And not only a real musical partnership, but also a romantic partnership starts to blossom between them. But this is right about when she's going to launch her album with Motown. Right as she's about to launch this album for Motown. So literally as they're releasing the first single, she's telling them, taking off to the UK, not sticking around to promote it. So, of course, Motown is like, well, why should we even bother? Right, which honestly I get from a business perspective. They have a lot of artists on the roster who are not leaving town. So why invest in this artist who doesn't seem invested in their album? But by then, Tainted Love is springing back to life out of nowhere. It's been almost a decade since that single was released. And now it's found a whole new audience in England where Gloria just so happens to be living and this thing called Northern Soul is really blowing up. first hearing about the term Northern Soul, and I have to be honest, I assumed it was related to where the music was made. Like, you've got Southern Soul made in Memphis, Muscle Shoals, states in the southern part of the U.S., right? 
And my guess was Northern Soul referred to music made in places like Michigan, Detroit, etc. But in fact, Black American music was given the term Northern Soul when it was played by white DJs in Northern England. Yeah, I, I used to think the same thing. And when you look back at it now, it would have been really hard to predict a thing like Northern Soul. The North of England was not a very happy or happening place. There were a lot of young people living in pretty grim, working-class conditions. And so when the weekend came, they wanted to go out and they wanted to go off. <laughs> Literally, from the nighttime till the mm. sun rose. <laughs> so the Northern Soul term really came to represent all these deep, deep cuts by black American artists that they were playing at these all-nighters. And, of course, over time, certain clubs and certain DJs became really strongly affiliated with the movement. And those DJs, they were obsessed with finding the most obscure, the most unloved, most slept-on tracks. That was a huge part of Northern Soul, the idea that you could be the one to find that lost treasure and be the only one who had it. Yes, the cool guy. Everybody's looking at you like, where did you get that record? I love it. <laughs> so a record like Tainted Love, a song that was completely obscure, performed by a singer nobody knew from that classic mid-1960s period, all that record had to do was essentially show up. Yeah, how it showed up it almost makes it seem like destiny. As the story goes, an English DJ by the name of Richard Serling came to the U.S. on a record hunting trip in 1973. He'd just finished digging through a warehouse of discarded and discontinued Soul 45s, but as he was leaving, he found this one record on the floor, no sleeve, just beat-up record by itself, tossed it into his pile, and that record turned out to be Tainted Love. And the kids, when they heard that record, they went nuts. <laughs> So what are we listening to now, Michael? We're listening to a recording someone made in the crowd at Wigan Casino in 1974. Wigan Casino was a place that became one of the epicenters of Northern Soul. And you can hear immediately how much dancers love this song. It's just in all those claps. You know, in the soft cell version, I always thought that that was why people clap, because you can hear the claps at particular times mm -hmm. in the song. Yep. But in the original version from 1965, there is no clapping. So this is something that the dancers added out of the feeling that they got from the song. So you have one experience of the original song feeding another, which then fed the next version, and it just keeps building from there. That is so cool. But, you know, the song's revival immediately inspires other artists to cover it. None of those versions are very successful, but you can hear those hand claps already in this 1975 version by the Jezebels. So Miss Gloria Jones is in England and her original recording of Tainted Love is blowing up in the same country she now lives in. And of course, here come the inevitable cover versions. And I'm guessing she was not making money on any of this because she didn't write the song. And she probably wasn't getting artist royalties either from an old 1965 record contract. Mm -mm. So she figured it might make sense to re-record her own version of Tainted Love. Now I know I've got to run away. I've got to 
This version is from her album Vixen from 1976, which was produced by Mark Bolan, who also plays on the album. What's strange, though, about this is that she doesn't release Tainted Love as a single in 1976. She actually released four singles from this album in the UK, including a version of T-Rex's Get It On, but not a single for Tainted Love. You know what, Michael? I don't know. I just get the feeling she didn't need to release it as a single. That wasn't Mm. the point. Mm. She already had the great original version of it. And I think she was just taking the opportunity to remind folks who sang the original. Like, just so you know, this is me. But also sharing some of the new stuff she was up to. Maybe. Perhaps. But the thing is, the album doesn't really make much of an impression at all. And the same was mostly true for the music that she was making with Mark and T-Rex. But what is really clear is that the two of them were really enjoying this musical and romantic partnership. So now it's 1977, and it sounds like Mark and Gloria have really found their groove. They have a son, Roland Bolin, who's almost two, and things are feeling good. And for Mark in particular, it feels and sounds like he's found kind of like a happy middle ground between those new styles and his classic sound. He's being embraced by punk rock, which is now a thing in the UK. The damned are actually opening up for him, and he seems very excited about how everything is going. But 1977 is also the year when tragedy strikes. The six o'clock news, this is Ian Ramage. We've just heard that controversial rock star Mark Bolan has been killed in a car crash. His mini being driven by girlfriend Gloria Jones has careered off the road into a tree in South London. Gloria's detained in hospital with serious injuries. Gloria and Mark have this car accident less than a mile from their home. Bolan is killed instantly. Gloria is in the hospital with multiple injuries, a broken jaw, her vocal cords are injured, and although they'd been in this partnership for a few years, I mean, their son, Roland Bolin, again, is two at this point, Mark is still legally married to somebody else. Yeah, so unfortunately, when he dies, Gloria inherits nothing. Her son inherits nothing, and they're essentially destitute. So they have to go back to Los Angeles. But I've also heard that, interestingly, David Bowie came to their rescue to an extent. He was a fan and friend of Mark's. And the story goes that he helped out Gloria and Roland a bit during this time, which was really good of Bowie. Mm -hmm. But it was still such a horrible tragedy. So true. But Gloria Jones is resilient and she gets back to work fairly quickly. In 1978, she releases an album dedicated to Mark's memory called Windstorm. And there are moments where she recalls the strength and power she was known for as a singer. But then there are other times when you can really feel the tragedy of it all weighing on her. Yeah. 
When Windstorm fails to chart, she goes back behind the curtain again. In 1979, she writes a hit for the disco funk band Gonzales, Haven't Stopped Dancing, which is a huge hit worldwide. She also does some unreleased sessions for Dr. Buzzard's original Savannah band, just before August Darnell reinvented himself as Kid Creole. And that brings us up to 1981, when Soft Cell covers Tainted Love. Gloria puts out one more album in 1982, just as Soft Cell is breaking records on the American charts. And this time, she returns to working with Ed Cobb, who is the songwriter who gave her Tainted Love in the first place. This album that they do together, fittingly enough, is called Reunited. And although most of it is new, they also include the original 1965 version of Tainted Love, just in case. She also reunited in 1984 with the Kojic Singers and released an album of new material. And that pretty much is where the new music ends. But since then, she and her son Roland have opened up a school in Sierra Leone, Africa, the Mark Boland School of Music and Film. In 2015, she also started her own reissue label, the Light of Love Wax Company, putting out a reissue of Tainted Love on 45, and also an amazing track that had been previously unreleased, almost lost to time, Gone with the Wind is My Love. Well, my love, 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 keeps gone with the wind, is my love, like a bird in the sky, he's gone with the wind, is my love, I thought he could weather the storms of life, stand by me, through my pains and strife, but at the You know, with Gloria's journey, in some ways there are similarities to the story of Betty Davis, who recorded this incredible music in the 1970s and, and had this connection to Miles Davis. And people who were in the know recognized the influence she had as well as her own artistry. But it took decades for people to catch up and actually hear how amazing those Betty Davis records were. Ah, oh, yeah, there is some of that with Gloria Jones, mm -hmm. where we only see in hindsight these moments where it could have gone this way or that way for her. But... It's worthwhile to acknowledge the bigger picture of her story. Someone who it's perhaps easy to classify as a one-hit wonder who never really even had the hit. But when you dig a little deeper, you see this career that she sustained over a long period of time. Even if she didn't achieve the kind of success that Soft Cell had or that we might think people are searching for. Or maybe that even she was searching for. But it's a career that has so many amazing moments. It is. And there's multiple ways to look at it. You can look at it like, oh, it's a shame people don't know who the original singer of Tainted Love is, the horror. <laughs> but that doesn't take away from her being a hugely important part of an epic song. And at the end of the day, someone who had an incredible career. Mm -hmm. And I tell you this, wherever Tainted Love is played, whatever version it is, that thing slays dance floors. <laughs> slays, honey. Just absolutely slays dance floors. And that's something to be proud of. Uh-huh. And so much of that is connected to the truly amazing artist that is Gloria Jones. 
That sounds like success to me. Lost Notes is a KCRW original production made by Michael Barnes, Ashley Brown, Novena Carmel, and Mike Dodge Weisskopf. You can read up on this and other episodes at kcrw.com slash lostnotes. Special thanks to Gina Delvac, Jennifer Farrow, Ray Guarna, Natalie Hill, Ann Litt, Arnie Seipel, and Anthony Valadez. If you're still listening, drop us a line at lostnotes at kcrw.org with the name of the TV show Gloria Jones appeared on twice, and we'll send you some free swag. I'm Michael Barnes. And I'm Novena Carmel. Thanks for listening. Call